Good morning. It is great to have you here this morning. I'm going to turn the corner just a little bit. Um, this was the wrong choice this morning. This is way too small. <laughs> way too small. How many of you are struggling with daylight savings? Not yet. It'll come in a couple of hours. All right. This morning was rough. Like, I had to make sure that I left one of the clocks set at the old time so that I knew for certain that I was on the new time when I got up because I was really worried my phone wouldn't change and then I would be an hour late because that happened one time. It was supposed to change automatically, and I thought it did, and I was an hour behind for several hours until I got into my car and looked, and I was like, well, why is my car wrong? <laughs> It wasn't my car that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So good morning again. It is great to have you here in person. If you are joining us online, it is great to have you joining us as well. We are kicking off this daylight savings time with our new series, Words. And words are important. They have meaning. They have nuanced meanings. Some of them have multiple meanings. And so one thing that we want you to know as we dig into these words is that some of them are going to hit some tender spots. Some of them might ruffle feathers a little bit. Some of them will bring peace and comfort. That's what they're meant to do. And you need to know that when these things happen, Northridge is a safe place. We're asking you to come into a community together to make this a safe place for yourself and for others because what we share in this space is holy, as we sang this morning. We want you to know that it's a place to bring your hurt and your pain and your anger and to bring your celebration and your joys because really, we want to do life together as a community. And it starts on Sunday mornings and then it ripples out from there. So our word this morning is going to be straightforward. Our word this morning is going to be humble. And I tell you what, as we were brainstorming ideas, I was like, hey, this seems like a really good idea. Because when I had the ideas behind it, they were really good. Not to humble brag. And then I started writing this message. And I was like, Brent, this is a horrible idea. What are we doing here? But we're going to dive into it this morning. So let us get started with a story. I'm going to introduce you to a man named Melvin. I don't know Melvin. I've never met Melvin, but his story sort of resonated with me. Maybe it'll resonate with you. Maybe his wife's story will resonate with you. So after a tough and discouraging day at work, Melvin plopped himself on the couch and began wallowing in self-pity. He moaned to his wife, nobody cares about me. In fact, the whole world hates me. Without even looking up from her work, Melvin's wife replied, that's not true, honey. The whole world can't hate you. They don't even know you. <laughs> yes. Anybody in here have someone in your life that you know that has a little bit of pride? Don't point to the person next to you. This is not the morning to do that. Don't. Yeah, we all have somebody with a little bit of pride or maybe a whole lot of pride in our life, right? How many of you have someone in your life that is humble? Yeah. I got one hand raised and a lot of quiet. That one's a lot harder to think of, isn't it? We have to stop and go, ooh, is there somebody that's humble? Like, what would that definition be? So when we talk about being humble, the world's definition usually is like weakness, timidity, um, not being confident. That's how the world would view humble. 
that's not God's definition of humble. God's definition of humble is believing what he says about you over what other people or even yourself say about you. Believing what God says about you over what everyone else, including yourself, says about you. So today we're actually going to look at Moses a little bit because Moses is known for being a man who was extremely humble in the Bible. In fact, it tells us that in Numbers 12, 3. It says, now Moses was very humble. More humble than any other person on earth. But before we jump into the point of the story with Moses and his brother and his sister that I want us to look at today, let me give us a little bit of background to get us caught up. You see, Moses was born a Hebrew. And when he was born, there was an edict out that the boys that were of a certain age and under were to be killed, and Moses was of that age. And so his mother decided to save his life by hiding him in a basket, which then was intentionally placed in some reeds for Pharaoh's daughter to find, which she did. So she took him into her household to raise him. So he is a Hebrew who is now in an Egyptian palace being raised by a princess. He grows up. He makes some mistakes. He flees. And then he lives in the desert tending sheep where he gets married. Now along this path, God calls Moses, tells him he wants to go and save the Israelites who are his people, the Hebrew people. Moses has some words and conversations with God, which we'll talk about later. And then he saves them. Now, this might be the point where you have heard of the ten plagues before. These things all happen with Moses and God and the Israelites. They leave Egypt. They go through the Red Sea on dry land, which most of us have heard about, right? The parting of the dry sea. And then it goes and collapses on the Egyptian army, chasing them, killing everybody. And then he leads them into the desert. And they wander around this desert. And we're at the beginnings of these wanderings. They haven't been out there a whole lot of time. But they're already forgetting what it was like to be enslaved. They're starting to complain because they don't have all of the extravagance that was in Egypt when they were slaves. They're remembering when there was meat and fruit and vegetables. And it was so wonderful because they don't have that in the desert where they're at right now. They're getting manna. And they're like, this is just not cool. And so the people start complaining. Moses then does something about this. He goes to God, and God provides meat for the people. And it's not a great situation. It's not the part we're going to focus on. But because they wanted it so badly, he provided it and then made them sick on it. Just to kind of remind them, what's going on here? Who's in charge? Okay? So we're going to pick up the story around this time. Moses' brother and sister have been with him. His brother has been with him throughout this entire time of taking the Israelites and saving them. And yet they decide to engage in a little bit of sibling rivalry. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. So you can read it on the screen, or your phone, or your Bible, but we're going to be in Numbers chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 1. So while they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. And the verse we saw earlier, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. Now, in my head, I hear this being said rather sarcastically and with 
a lot of rhetorical sounding to it. You know, like, really? Is Moses the only one that God can use? Hasn't he also spoken through other people? Like, hello, we've been with you. We've been a part of this. But listen to what the Lord says to them. The Lord says to them, listen to what I have to say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. Because that's what God does with prophets. He speaks to them in the different visions and dreams. And notice this change now as he goes from speaking to prophets to speaking to Moses. He says, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? That's Chris's interpretation. Now, if I do Chris's interpretation of God, it's going to be, why were you not afraid to criticize my servant, my servant Moses? I'm God. He is mine. Who are you to criticize him? The Lord left. He was angry and departed. You see, Moses spent time with God. He was his man. If we read the entire story of Moses, they have a lot of history together. Moses was able to see him face to face, which was something that no one else did. That was an honor given to Moses. It was not common. Because Moses was humble, he was able to be in God's presence, to speak with God, and to see his face. You see, Moses understood our first point very clearly. Humility is having an accurate understanding of myself in relation to God and other people. Pride elevates self above everybody else, including God, and it is breaking relationship. Pride is when I elevate myself above God. And it breaks the relationship with God. God will not be around pride because what it says is, I am equal or better than you. And God says, not true. Not true at all. God will not allow pride to flourish because his ultimate desire is to have relationship with us. And if there is any pride, it keeps us away from him. Moses had been specifically chosen for the job of leading the Israelites out. God went to him and said to him specifically, I want you to lead my people. He was the chosen one. Moses understood his abilities, but he knew that the only way this could happen was in God's hand with God using him. Miriam and Aaron felt they deserved equality with Moses. And so they come complaining. Because when they say, hasn't God used anyone else but Moses? Like, hasn't he spoken through other people? They know he has. They know that God has worked in and through them, and yet they're choosing to say, your status, Moses, above us, we're not okay with that. We're brother and sister. Like, we should be equal, right? Have we ever heard that fight in the family? Why is he treated different? It's not fair. I want it. And the teens went quiet. Teens, we love you because we have been there. We have said the exact same thing. Why? It's not fair to me. I want the same thing. Why don't I get that, right? They were playing the comparison game, 
and they lost because pride got the better of them. They wanted their position and their standing to be more important than God using them and trusting his way. God called out the pride so that he could restore their relationship. God wasn't calling out the pride for a beatdown. That is what we think of a lot of times today. You're prideful? Let me knock you down a notch, right? Let me put you in your place. God doesn't want to do that. God wants to restore the relationship, so he was calling out the pride. The Bible, according to Google, I did not dig deep into my commentaries for this, speaks of pride in the New King James Version about 153 times, and it speaks of humility about 177. What was interesting was as I was trying to write this message and I was speaking with my husband, I was like, dang, this is hard. Like, I am writing a message on humble and humility, and I keep going back to pride. Like, I'm reading my message going, this is on pride, not pride. I need humble. I need humble. Well, here's the problem. Pride and humble are like this. We cannot get rid of pride and move to humble unless we acknowledge there's pride, because none of us are born humble. Proverbs 29, 23 says, pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. And then Proverbs eleven two says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So we see between these two things that if we stick with pride, we're going to end up with humiliation and disgrace. Not exactly the side of the coin I want. If we stick with humility being humble, then we end up with honor and wisdom. That's the camp I want to land in. But I tell you what, it's a hard road to walk. You see, I was trying and trying and trying to come up with some illustrations, and believe me, I had plenty. But I want you to respect me at the end of the day. I can give you some of the juicy ones if you want, if we want to get a cup of coffee, because I'll need it after this. Here's a quote from um, an evangelical pastor named John R. W. Stott. He said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. Pride is your greatest enemy, and humility is your greatest friend. Now, we know that when we're young, we get a lot of lessons on this, Right? We're constantly trying to teach our kids how to walk that line respectfully of being proud of what they're doing but not being prideful. And then as adults, we try to do it, and a lot of times it doesn't work out very well. A really silly example for you. Mind you, I was young. Okay, so this was a while ago. While I was teaching, early on in our marriage, we had just moved to Madison. Paul and I had the ability to take a trip. Um, it was going to be kind of a delayed getaway honeymoon because we stayed close to home for our honeymoon. So we had this opportunity to take the trip. We are in Wisconsin, and so the, the standards had to be, it had to be warm, had to be fairly inexpensive, and it had to be easy to travel to. 
And so we were trying to brainstorm different ideas, had a few ideas, and at lunch one day with some of my other teachers, I said, so we're trying to take this trip, trying to brainstorm ideas of where to go, you know, warm, cheap, easy to fly to. And so they start tossing out ideas for me. Well, you could look at like um, Playa del Carmen, you could look at like Puerto Vallarta, what was some of the other ones, Cancun, I have to lead them off here. Um, so all of these things. And so me, in my young 20 confidence, very boldly said, you know what, thanks for all of those ideas, but I, I don't want to go to Mexico. I want to stay away from Mexico. We're looking at going to Cozumel. <laughs> for you teens, let me give you Google's description of Cozumel. If your geography is a little like mine, it is a Mexican island in the Caribbean Sea. No thanks, I don't want to go to Mexico. We are going to Cozumel. Right? And I kid you not, not a single one of them said a word. Not a single word. They just looked at me. I have no idea to this day how they held their tongue and did not chastise me for my ignorance or really get after me for my ego and my pride. Because I was so confident we were not going to Mexico, we were going to Cozumel. Right? Silly. What's not so silly? Hidden pride. Can be on the inside, in our heart and in our head. Hidden pride is when I think I'm better. I criticize other people because I could do better. Hidden pride is when I know your needs better than you do, so let me fix it for you. Let me help you when you didn't ask for it. Hidden pride is my kid's better than your kid. Hidden pride is when our classmates are dumb because they did something embarrassing. Hidden pride can be vicious. Because if we don't say it out loud, nobody knows it's there. We can have humble actions on the outside, but that's false humility if the inside doesn't match. Most of the time when I have hidden pride, it's because I feel insecure or uncertain or I'm really hurting and I don't want anyone to help me because then I feel weak, or I feel less than for whatever reason. And so I am going to put on the best mask possible to keep going, to pretend, to be good, to make sure everything is great. And inside, I'm dying a slow, painful death. So let's refresh the biblical definition of confidence, or of humble, sorry. Getting our confidence and knowing who we are according to God and no one else. Moses was not wise from birth. He really struggled with all that God asked him to do. If we look at some of the things 
He felt disqualified because of his past. And he should have been. He killed a man. In his youthful pride, trying to do what he thought was the right thing, he did the wrong. He killed a man. As he got older and God called him to do things, he felt like he wasn't qualified with his current skill set. I'm a low man. I'm a shepherd. I'm not qualified. I don't have the language or the eloquence. I'm not refined enough to go in front of Pharaoh. Like he's providing all of these reasons that are true and accurate. That's exactly who he is, according to himself. But watch how God flips this on his head. Moses says, who am I to go to rescue your people like you're asking me? And God says to him, I will go with you. Moses says, and if they ask me who your name is, what's your name? What's your name? Who are you? God says, tell them, I am who I am. That's my name. I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Joshua. Jacob says, what if they don't believe me? What if I tell them these things and they don't believe me, God? And God says, let me do something for you. Pick up that staff, throw it on the ground, changes to a snake. Miraculous, right? Okay. If that's not enough of a sign for them, then what I want you to do is put your hand in your coat, take it out, and now it's a skin condition, it's leprous. Put it back in your coat, it's healed. Still not enough? Get some water from the Nile, and it will change to blood. They won't be able to use it or drink it. I am with you. Moses says, okay, that seems great, God, but you know what? Um, I get tongue-tied. I tangle up my words. It was thought that maybe he had a stutter. It doesn't matter. He didn't feel like he could speak well enough to be in front of Pharaoh's presence and to do this. And God says, um, who makes your mouth? Who makes the mouth that speaks the words? Who makes the eyes to see? Who makes the ears to hear? It's kind of like Moses' wake-up call. Who does all these things? Not you. I do. And then Moses, at the end of all of this, is like, okay, Lord, um, but please, can you just send anyone else but me? Just anyone else but me. And God gets angry with him. But God doesn't kick him to the side and say, all right, you're done. I'm done with you. I've like given you all these reasons. We're done. God says, fine. I'm not pleased about this, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you your brother Moses, or I'm going to give you your brother Aaron to go with you, Moses. He'll go with you. I'll make you like God. You tell him what to say. He's going to be the prophet. He will speak the words. Let's do this. And so Moses says, okay, I will go. Now, that's great and fine for Moses, and you're sitting there thinking, we're wasting my time. How does this apply to me? Have you ever had that question, who am I? Why am I supposed to do this? Why are you asking that I go here? I'm not qualified to do this. I don't have enough of a resume. I've never done it before, or I've done it and I've messed up. These are all things that Moses brings to God saying, hey, can you just send anybody else because I'm not meeting the list here. God says, no. I choose you. I will be with you and I will go with you. 
Same is true today. Whatever we are walking through, I am with you, I will go with you, and I will provide for you. We see this in Philippians 2, 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in you, and he gives you the desire and the power. When we feel like we can't do it on our own, that's actually a really good spot to be because it reminds us that we can't. We need God's strength, and we need God's power in order to do what he asks us to do. We don't do life on our own accord. You see, God's chosen time, God's chosen place, God's chosen person is very intentional as part of God's plan. When I say person, place, and time, insert your name. Insert your name. God's chosen person, your name. For this time right now, in this place right here. We need to realize that humility for us is just like it was for Moses is boldly trusting that God has placed me in this time for his purpose. Not my purpose. His purpose. God has knowledge and foresight for everything that is and will come. We live in the moment. We don't get to see the end result of our life. We get to live in the moment and trust that God is working. There's an author and pastor named Dan Ryland who writes on the wisdom of leadership. And he shares from his vast experience of teaching and pastoring and mentoring people. And I'm going to share a quote from you that comes from his book called Confident Leader. And some of you right now are thinking, okay, I get to check out for a little bit. I'm going to say, no, you don't. If you have input or influence in any other life than your own, you're a leader. Unless you live in an absolute bubble by yourself, you are a leader. So here we go. Humility is not weakness. It is strength under control. It's a good balance of genuine self-awareness, God's gifts within you, and maturity. It does not diminish your leadership drive, but increases your ability to lead from your most true self, which is always your most powerful self. Humility is not weakness. It is strength under control, finding and discovering our most true self. Be strong, be confident, not in your own power, but in God's power. When we choose to have false humility, or when we choose to have self-limiting talk and actions, it not only impacts us, it impacts everyone around us. Here's some things that I mean. When he says humility is not weakness, it's strength under control, it does not sound like, oh, you are so much better at that than I am. I could never do that. 
does not sound like, why are you even with me? Like, I don't deserve you. You're so much better than I am. I could never be a good student. I'm just not that smart. It's too hard. Self-limiting, self-demeaning talk and thoughts are a false humility. They're actually a form of pride. Because we are trying to get compliments. We are trying to get encouragement. We are trying to get what we need to feel worthwhile through a back door. And the back door will always leave you feeling empty. Go through the front door where we acknowledge who we are and whose we are. We are God's crafted, chosen, beautifully created children. We need to do the deep work of figuring out where those self-limiting thoughts come from, why we feel we need to use them, and how to get away from them, to step into the confidence of who we are because we are God's chosen one. Moses was not confident at first. We went through his list of excuses as to why he couldn't go. But if you go back and read his story throughout Deuteronomy and Numbers, here's what you will notice. Every time Moses did something that God asked, his confidence grew. The very first time that Moses goes and speaks to Pharaoh, Moses doesn't speak, his brother Aaron does. And they see God work in a miraculous way. And then the next plague, the next plague, the next plague, the next plague. We get ten plagues. By the time the last plague rolls around, do you know who is speaking? Moses. Do you know who's speaking with authority and confidence? Moses. Not because Moses could do it, but because Moses trusted who God said he was, my chosen spokesperson. Moses gained confidence as he went because he trusted God. It's something that we can do as well. So what can humility look like for us? Because most of us are not going to get called to go talk to a king and ask him to set people free. If you do, we will have your back. Humility for us can look like this. Complimenting other people. Whether it's your fellow students, your teammates at work, your teammates on a sports team. Compliment them. Lift them up because you're confident in who you are. They need to hear it as well. Readily admit your mistakes. If you're working with a team, share the credit. It doesn't have to be about you. In fact, if you steal someone else's thunder, that will come back eventually. Share the credit where it's due. Offer and accept apologies. Accept accountability with grace. When you mess up and someone calls you on it, it hurts. But say thank you because it's a chance to grow. If you feel strongly about something, be confident and share with conviction. Make sure that it aligns with God's word. Listen to the input that others want to give you that is helpful. There was research done 
on humility and pride or arrogance. This is what the research ultimately came down to. Both arrogance and humility are contagious. Both of them are contagious. Both can be taught and both can be caught. So because we are all in a space of having influence in our life and those around us, we need to be confident in who we are and whose we are because that is what is going to be taught and caught. Henry Nouwen um, has done a lot of spiritual writing, a lot of deep thinking. Um, if you struggle with any uh, inner criticism, depression, depression, anxiety, um, this whole book was during his, what he called, night, Dark Night of the Soul, where he really was struggling with life. There's a lot of good insight in this book. Um, sorry, it's called The Inner Voice of Love. He tells you at the outset not to just read through this book, to do it like one section at a time. Because if you slam through this book, you're going to leave very discouraged. If you take time to read and process it, it can actually lift you up. There's one that I want to share with you. He titled it, Accept Your Identity as a Child of God. Now, most of these writings are for himself. He wrote it in journal. But then they decided that it would be important to share it with people, and I'm really glad that they did. So this is his writing about himself. But close your eyes and see if you can put yourself in here. Accept your identity as a child of God. Your true identity is a child of God. This is the identity that you have to accept. Once you've claimed it and settled in it, you can live in a world that gives you much joy as well as pain. You can receive the praise as well as the blame that comes to you as an opportunity for strengthening your identity because the identity that makes you free is anchored beyond all human praise and blame. You belong to God, and it is as a child of God that you are sent into the world. You need spiritual guidance. You need people who can keep you anchored in your true identity. The temptation to disconnect from that deep place in you is where God dwells, and to let yourself be drowned in the praise or blame of the world always remains. Only God can fully dwell in that deepest place in you and give you a sense of safety. But the danger remains that you will let other people run away with your sacred center, thus throwing you into anguish. It might take a great deal of time and discipline to fully reconnect your deep, hidden self and your public self, which is known, loved, and accepted but also criticized by the world. Gradually, though, you will begin feeling more connected and become more fully who you truly are, a child of God. There lies your real freedom. As Laura shared this morning, we're not in times of war personally here. 
but all of us are in a battle. A real spiritual battle for where we are going to find our identity and which status we're going to choose to live up to and who we're going to choose to be. If we're going to choose to live according to the world and other voices' opinions of who we are, or if we're going to choose to listen to God's word of who we are. Our confidence needs to be rooted in God because then we have a place of security and safety to bring all of our hurt, all of our anger, all of our disappointments, all of our frustrations, all of our joys, all of our celebrations, all of our happiness. Those are the places where we can be real because we know whose we are. Let me end with one more scripture verse that's a good sending verse for us to remember. It's in Micah 6, 8. It says, The Lord has told you what is good. If you're uncertain, it's right here. If you are in a spot where you feel like you cannot get into scripture because of whatever you are dealing with, ask a friend to speak words of truth over you. We all need that at times. This is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We now know what to walk humbly with your God means. Know who you are because you know who you belong to. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you that you love us exactly where we are, whatever we are, inside our head, whatever it is we portray outside. Father, you know the hidden, you know the portrayed. This morning, I ask that you give us the confidence, the boldness, the bravery needed to turn all of that over to you. I pray that you would help us to hear your words of truth in our life so that we can live into our true identity, which is the words and truth that you speak over us. That we know that whether we are close to you or far away, you are right there with us. And all we have to do is turn to you. Thank you that you love us enough that you will not allow pride to keep us from you because it breaks our relationship. Thank you that you will call it out to bring us back to yourself. Help us to trust. Help us to be strong in our weakness because we give it to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>